Sonsack and welcome to episode 67 of Books Cubed, the show right chat with the authors you should be reading. It is Thursday, June 18th, 2020. I think. Let me look. Yep, it is. I had to check my calendar real quick. Uh, and um, I have a great show for you as usual. This week, I am chatting with author Karen Tibbles. Yeah, make sure I say her name right. And we're talking about her book, Persuade, Don't Preach, which is really important stuff. It's, um, you know, how do you deal with that relative or that friend that disagrees with you? And you don't want, you want to, you want to talk about your side of it. You want to listen to their side of it. You don't want to end up arguing. So what she talks about is great stuff, practical things you can use every day in your life. So let us get right to it, and I will see you after. I want to welcome Karen Tibbles today, and it is really, um, I really like her book uh, because I have so many friends who talk about that one relative that, they, that makes them not want to go home for Thanksgiving and family gatherings and weddings, that one person who's the polar opposite of you and won't let it go. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for asking me to be here. And I, I've, she's got her book behind her. So if you're watching on video, and then I've got a copy right here, which uh, with these lovely virtual backgrounds, you can't see it. Okay. All I'm doing is screwing up the video. So I'm going to read. The title is Persuade, Don't Preach. So I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to start with um, Karen's um, bio real quick, and then I'll read a description of her book. Karen Tibbles is a passionate author and speaker who has spent decades as a marketing researcher studying why people act the way they do. She took a detour from that career for a degree in religion, which transforms how she thinks about life and politics and led, to, led her to create the, ethicals frames, the ethical frames model. I can speak. Karen has written two books, Persuade, Don't Preach, and Marketing Landmines. Landmines. Oh, I should have started with more tea this morning. So uh, this in this one, Persuade, Don't Preach, let me just quickly, it's pretty much what you think, but let me, let me read the description real quick. Would you like to have Thanksgiving without yelling at your uncle about politics? Wouldn't we all? Now, Persuade, Don't Preach gives you the tools to have productive conversations with those who don't agree with you. As a society, we've become so polarized, we barely know how to talk to each other anymore. When we disagree, we often preach, and then the other person freezes or explodes. We wind up even more polarized than where we began. What's the key to get past this? It all comes down to persuading instead of preaching. Karen Tibbles distills the latest social science research to create a practical plan for talking to others in a respectful way a way that enables people to get past their differences. Persuade Don't Preach explains why people differ, why particular groups of people focus on certain issues, and why the latest tactics simply don't work. This knowledge will foster empathy and help you develop a plan for approaching people you disagree with in a way that restores civility and allows, and allows them to listen. So um, very, very um, important Ideas, especially in the time of social media, and not just family. Yeah, yeah, this applies. So I found this theory, um, as, as my bio says, 
um, I was I was in marketing and marketing research for decades, and you know I really thought I understood how things work, but I always hated politics. I just hated politics, um, and I hated it because people got so upset, and I hated it because I didn't understand it. Um, and then I took a break from my career and I went back to school and I went to seminary. Um, I had what you might call a religious calling, and but I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. I thought I was going to do one thing, and I ended up. While I was in seminary, I found this theory. And after I graduated, um, I kept thinking about the theory and how it applied in various different situations. And I was doing a little bit of work in my old field in marketing, and I thought about how it applied to that, which is why I wrote the Marketing Landmines book. And I would talk about the theory to friends of mine, and they would be really interested, and they'd pick up my marketing book, even though they weren't in marketing, because they wanted to understand more about the theory and how it applied in various situations. And then they would say to me, but what do I do? I'm not in marketing, which is why I wrote the, this book, because I wanted to get very practical and tell these people who thought, like I did, that the, the ideas were so interesting. Yeah, what, so... so Give people just a, a really quick idea of what this theory encompasses. Right. So the basic theory is called moral foundation theory. And it was um, popularized in a book called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And I always have to think about his name when I say it because it looks like it's hate, but it's Haidt. <laughs> um, and what he says, um, and it's, he, uh, he draws on a lot of um, anthropology and psychology research that comes before him, um, but in his thesis, um, he uh, and uh, Paul Graham, Paul, Jesse Graham, Jesse Graham, um, developed this theory that they call moral foundations theory. And what it says is that everybody, all humans, no matter what culture you are, have the same five basic values, or he calls them moral foundations. And I rename them into something else, but we won't go there yet. Um, and what he says, the, 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 the five things are that we care for each other, that we think about fairness, that we uh, have respect for authority, we have loyalty to the group, and we have a, a feeling about sacredness or purity. Well, what leads to conflict between people and between groups is when we have different interpretations of those moral foundations or we have different importance on the foundations. So we can each have things that we care about, but if they're different things or if we, if we for instance, what might be, you might say about what's happening uh, in the world today is a lot of the conflict is between uh, people who have more importance on authority or loyalty to the group and other people who have more importance on care. And that, that really explains the divide between liberal and conservative. And when I started thinking about how this applies, I started saying, oh, now I understand why people are so upset. And they don't even understand why they're so upset. You know, they, they, they think it's these words that they're using, but it's really the concepts underneath it that really explained it to me. And I started going, oh, and um, it just changed the way I, I looked at the world, totally looked at the world. So, so uh, if I'm coming to this idea, what are some of the things that I need to keep in mind or what are the, some of the things that I need to do to deal with that 
one person that won't listen to my reason. Okay, so here's the other part. So the criticism that I've heard over and over again of Haidt's book um, is that they don't, they don't know what to do with it once they, they, they see it, okay? And after I went to seminary, I found this other um, person who has a YouTube video, which I highly recommend. His name is Rob Willer. It's not a YouTube, yeah, it's a YouTube. It's not, it's a TED talk. So it's a short 18 minute thing. And it's been viewed millions of times. Um, and his TED talk is great, but he doesn't really explain the theory. He doesn't really explain it that well. And so what he and a partner on his, by the name of Matt Feinberg did is they developed a technique called moral reframing. So they take Haidt's moral foundation theory and they come up with a way to talk to people who have different set of morals than you do. So once you understand their morals, you can then take your issue, the issue that you care about, and use a moral foundation that's important to the person you're talking to. And you can get them out of the rut. Because the problem is we're in these, we're in these well-worn ruts. We don't talk to each other. We don't listen. And that's where the, the preaching of the title comes from. You know, we, we think we're being very true to our beliefs when we say what we believe and, and we are, but we aren't really paying attention to what the other person believes. And we're not, we aren't being really respectful. So how do we know what those beliefs are that that person holds? And, and, and so, so the big one for me is when people give their opinion in, versus science. That's the one that makes me nuts. And um, your opinion's great, but it has absolutely nothing to do with science. So how would I deal with somebody who's doing that? Well, there's, there's two possible paths you can take. One of which is you can start reading things by people who say those things, which takes you out of the situation and gives you a little bit of space. So you can then plan for what you're going to do. So, you know, planning, planning ahead for a personal encounter is a great thing to do because it takes the emotion out of it. And then you can look for the vocabulary that's being used and the words and the concepts that are behind what's being used. And um, there's a, uh, a spreadsheet that I have that is a vocabulary list that says when people use this particular word, this is the moral foundation that they're invoking. Oh, interesting. Is that in your book? No. Um, I have a reference to it in my Marketing Landmines book, but um, if anybody wants it, they can just email me and I'll okay. send them. The okay, well, we'll, we'll clear that because I, I was looking through going, I don't remember reading that one. Um, nope. Nope. Um, so when you start, that's just the tip off way to say, okay, what's the concept here? They use this word. That word is usually associated with this particular moral foundation. That's what's really behind it. Oh, okay. So how do you then, how do we, I, you know, so many people avoid social media just because it's not the, the family thing. That's one thing, you know, you try to keep your mouth shut and hopefully and not get into it in front of grandma. Don't want to give grandma a heart attack. Um, but how do you deal with social media issues 
instead of just avoiding social media altogether? Because I see so many people that will just, and I, it's not that I avoid social media, but I'm just too busy writing that I really don't spend a lot of time on social media. But I do, occasionally when I do scroll and look, I see so many people complaining or saying that they've just gotten rid of, you know, another thousand people from their friends list because they disagree with, with how they think or feel. And that seems kind of, um, I mean, I can see both sides where in one hand, you don't want to have to read things that you disagree with that might make your blood pressure spike. But on the other hand, if you're not reading things that you disagree with, you're not seeing all the things that are in the world. Yeah, and that's a real problem with social media. And social media is one of the reasons why we're so polarized because we, we go into our silos and we don't get exposed to the other ideas. And that's one of the things that I want to use the book to help people get the tools to counteract the tendency to have your blood pressure rise. Because when you start to understand what is going on with people, what is actually underneath it, you can start to say, oh, this is why they're so upset. It's not what they're saying. Because what they're saying sounds nonsensical to, to me because I'm not, I'm not them. But when I can start to say, oh, they are really feeling that we're ignoring this part of that's really important to them. And I can say, well, that's a really important thing because you know, I have the same moral foundations as the other person. I just have, a, like I said, a different interpretation and a difference in importance. So if I'm placing less importance on something, that doesn't mean I don't have it. It means I just, I put less importance on it. But, um, you know, maybe I should be putting more importance on it. Maybe they've got a point. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And, and I know in the book, and I, whenever I hear people start to talk about that there's liberals and there's conservatives, not everybody is a liberal or conservative. There's a lot of people that are moderates that, I mean, that's why we have 50% of the country that doesn't vote because those are moderates that do not, they don't want to be involved and they just shut down and they don't vote and they don't, they don't argue their point and they just kind of, I'm going to ignore it, I'm going to go away. <clears throat> but we do have the two vocal groups, the far, the far sides that seem to use up the most oxygen um, and get the most attention because they're doing the most talking. So in the book, you talk about the differences between the groups and how even just the, 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 the grocery stores you find in a neighborhood you were talking about can show you what kind of people are going to be in that area. So can you talk a little bit about, little bit about the two extremes that you, that you break down in the book? Right, right. So liberals, um, you know, liberals watch different television shows. They read different media. Um, they buy different products. Um, than conservatives do. Liberals are always looking for the, the latest thing. Change is good. They seek change. They seek novelty. And liberals um, want things to stay the same. I mean, conservatives want things to stay the same. They want to conserve, which, okay, I, it took, I, I didn't think about the, the, the root word of the, the word conservative. They want to conserve the past. And liberals are always looking for what's the next thing. And sometimes they don't think about what needs to be conserved in the past and they don't appreciate um, what some of the things that they have are. Um, and what's very interesting about the most recent um, presidency, the current presidency, is that I think it's been a wake up call for liberals for some of the things that they've been taking for granted 
because our current president doesn't adhere to some of what we consider the norms. And now we go, oh, we, we need this, we want this. So he's really shaken things up in terms of people realizing what's important. Um, so, um, but you know, the, these uh, different ways of thinking come from the way that people are raised. You know, these go so deep. You're not gonna convince somebody of, of, to change their mind about an issue when the issue goes to their, to virtually to their identity. But what you can do is you can work with who they are and get them to think about the issue in a different way and how it fits with who they are. And that's what the book is about. Yeah, yeah, and and <clears throat> I mean, I, I know that I had one relative that um, was very. Uh, it was when gay marriage was finally being recognized in the states, and the one relative said, "Well, why do they have to call it marriage?" I said, "Well, why wouldn't they? It's two people who are in love and and committing to one another. Why does that? Ha why does that affect your?" And and finally, I got through to the person by took a while and I was very calm. I was really proud of myself because usually I tend to, I tend to, yeah, anyway, uh, Bob's probably laughing if he's listening. Um, but, but keeping it calm and just saying, well, how does this affect you? And they, they had to finally admit that it really didn't affect them personally. It had nothing to do with their marriage. It didn't destroy their marriage and it didn't make it an unofficial or whatever. But finally, I got the, the relative to go, well, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can understand that. And yeah, okay, I have no problem with that, which I was really surprised. Um, but yeah, it took, took being, being very calm and, and yeah, asking why, I hadn't really thought about it, but why does this affect you? Well, I think you've, you've raised the really good point, which is the gay marriage issue is a perfect illustration of this technique in action in real life. Because, you know, Willer and Feinberg did the research to come up with this technique, and they did, they've done study after study to prove that it can be done, and they've done it on a number of different issues. But I went looking for examples in, the real, in real life, and what I found was I found a couple of issues that I think really illustrate it well, which, one of which is gay marriage. So in 2004, about 31% of the, the population was in favor of gay marriage, the U.S. population. And in 2019, the number is now 60%. So the approval of gay marriage has doubled in 15 years. That has never happened before. That has never happened before in any other what they call civil rights issue. And what I've come to understand is what was done by a, a grassroots group um, for gay marriage. And I've talked to somebody who was involved in it, um, and I've heard about it from other people. What they did specifically was to, um, at, the, at the beginning of that period, they were very unfocused. They had a lot of different issues that they were working on. And of course, AIDS was a major crisis. And, you know, in the AIDS crisis, um, gay people couldn't, had no rights with their partner if they were in the hospital and the person was dying, you know, they, they, they had no rights. And that's what crystallized things and made them realize that marriage was important. And there was a particular person whose name I'm not, not going to remember, who kept saying, we need to focus on marriage, we need to focus on marriage. And so what they did is they organized around the idea of gay marriage, not just gay rights, but gay marriage as the, the, the issue they wanted to focus on. 
And one of the people who was involved in this campaign told me that she got an email <coughs> specifically that said, here's the words you need to use and don't say these things. And in 15 years, that effort was successful in turning it around, which I think is a wonderful testament. And what they did, they specifically used the moral foundation of sacredness because marriage is part of that. Yeah, yeah, and everybody can understand, you'd, you'd like to think, that need to, to say to the world that this is my partner, this is the person I'm gonna be with. And yeah, it should be a right that, that everybody would have. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that, that they use those words because um, what, what was the difference in it? Was what, in the 40? It went from 31% to 60% in 15 years. Wow, in 15 years, that's pretty crazy. From 2004 to 2019. Wow, that's crazy. And you know, when I talk to people, they go, oh, wasn't it the Supreme Court decision or wasn't it this? And no, it wasn't. No, no, public opinion. It was, this is public opinion. With the, the public, uh, Supreme Court decision happened in, I believe the early 2010s. So it was after some of the growth in, other, in, in public attitudes. Yeah, yeah, it must have been, New York must have uh, legalized gay marriage in 2014 because we were in New York and we've been living in Key West and we went into Central Park and I think we spent like three days in Central Park. Not continuous, but I was so excited to be around trees. <laughs> we, don't <have> trees. <laughs> we don't really have trees in Key West. They're in the water, you know, mm. I mean, they have them on land too, but there was something about the forest and the trees and all that. It was just so wonderful. And, Every corner we turn, there was an, I'm going to get choked up thinking about it. There was another wedding mm. and it was just beautiful. So many couples getting married with just the, with just the couple and, and one or two witnesses. Um, but it was, it was like every corner, every corner we turned, it was the most beautiful weekend that I think I've spent in any city. It was just wonderful. That's right. That's right. So, and I think now with the Black Lives Matter, um, I'm about to put out a video, hopefully later this week, um, which says, you know, we're asking with Black Lives Matter, we're asking, is this time going to be different? And I think the question should be, how can we make this time different? And I think this technique could help people make this time be different. So what are some of the things for, for, this, for this time? Because I, I mean... It's just, it's just crazy. We need to get people thinking, like you said, about this differently so that people understand Black Lives Matter. What, what I think can be very powerful, and I go over some of this in the book. I have some of the ideas in the book, and, and I keep coming up with new ideas. So, But um, after, after I wrote the book, I was coming through the Orlando airport, and I found a, um, uh, an ad that uh, was in the Orlando airport that had a profile of uh, uh, a black gentleman who was in the army. Was an, I think he was a sergeant, and he talked about it talked about his medals, and it talked about that he was a hometown. He was an Orlando person, and aren't we proud of him? And what that does is it says, a this person has contributed to our country. And B, he belongs to us. And that's using the moral foundations of, of loyalty, as Haidt would say. 
Um, and it's also drawing on the uh, Fairness Foundation saying merit, he earned it, he earned these things. And those are both conservative values and he's black because of his picture. And it's that sort of effort that says to people who have a hard time and think that, you know, the people are looting and it says, no, these people are responsible members of our society. They're contributing members of society. They contributed to defending our country. And these people need to be honored for that. And it's those sorts of efforts that on a, has to be done on a grassroots level. It can't be done on a, well, it could be, it could be a national campaign. You could do that in every city, but um, those sorts of efforts are the kinds of things that I think will make a difference because that's taking a play from taking a playbook from the um, from the uh, gay marriage effort to yeah. really focus in that way on what's important to the conservatives, country's important, earning and and that could work, that could really work. Now I I can't guarantee it would work. What I would want to do if I was um, designing this, you know, because I'm a market researcher, I do a number of different options and I test them out, see which one was the most powerful. But I think that one is particularly powerful. Yeah, you're bringing in them. So, so if I'm understanding, it's bringing them in, showing uh, the people who are, I don't know, I don't want to group conservatives all together, but the people who uh, don't seem to see black people as part of our society bringing them in and understand, helping them understand that they are. And they have important contributions. Yeah. You know, so a liberal is going to be focused more on caring about the, the person as a person with the higher care, uh, the moral foundation of care and harm. Uh, the conservative is going to be more focused on some of the other moral foundations and loyalty to the group is a big one. So the patriotism would go a long way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So you you were marketing, yes, and then you decided to go back and get you you were older when you went back to get your religious degree. Yes, yes, yes. I have a, a long career in marketing, marketing research. I worked uh, at an advertising agency. Um, I worked at major multinational firms, mostly in pharmaceuticals. Um, I was responsible for the market research to help launch several drugs. Um, which made lots of money for the company that I used to work, companies I used to work for. Um, and, um, and then I let, I, at the end, I was leading a team of people to uh, work on uh, neurology drugs and anesthesia drugs. So I, I got very technical, you know, I don't have a science background, um, but I, I learned how to talk to scientists and read scientific literature and, um, and how to help people understand it in a new way and, and, um, and make it real to people. So I worked in areas such as uh, schizophrenia and high blood pressure and asthma. I worked in a whole bunch of different areas. It was very interesting. And I get bored easy, so, so this, was, this was a good career because I got to learn new stuff. And, and then I, know, I left and go, went back to seminary and started learning something new um, which was also lots of fun. Do you think that having to learn how to speak to scientists maybe helped shape some of the theories that you talk about in this book? Well, I, one of the things I've learned about myself over the past few years is I'm really good at bridging between two different groups of people. 
and seeing things from both standpoints and being able to translate for the other. A friend of mine calls it having skills of interpretation. Yeah, and you know, you know that's really being able to see things from someone else's point of view is really difficult. Yes. Um, yes. For I, I was going to say for not everybody, but definitely, definitely a lot of people, definitely myself in some cases, uh, you know, you try to listen and then sometimes they'll say something and that completely goes against. And yeah, you can feel that wall building up and you want to stop the conversation. You want to walk away. Yeah. So what I do in the book is I try to make, the book is really written for liberals. Um, I had to make a choice when I wrote the book. It's really written for liberals. Um, and I, one of my early readers uh, pointed out to me when I, when I'd written the introduction, I had written um, something about that the book was dedicated to the soldiers who died in the civil war. And she meant, she said, do you mean the Confederate soldiers? <laughs> I said, whoops. <laughs> So I added in the soldiers who died in the Civil War to free the slaves. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's meant to help liberals be able to see the good parts about conservatives and not to vilify them and see what's un. Uh, and I think I put the diagram in the book, it was a last minute edition, that we need to separate the people from their values and from the issues. And too often we just lump them all together into one lump. And, you know, when somebody says something that we disagree with, we hate the person or we cancel the person. Um, but, you know, they're worthwhile people and many of them, um, and when you look at the research and what conservatives do, and conservatives are much more likely to be contributing members of their community and to be stalwarts of their, their local towns and to really help people and, um, and you know we miss that when we just focus on the things we disagree with. So I, I tried to make a sympathetic portrait of conservatives for liberals. Did you consider going the other direction? I'm considering it now because I, what I find is that my conservative friends are saying that they're gonna buy the book and give it to their liberal friends. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> um, they kind of missed the point. <laughs> Well, no, but I mean, because they realize it is, it is not oriented towards them. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I missed the point. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's fair. It's a fair point. Um, and, um, but I think conservatives have a somewhat better understanding of liberals than liberals have of conservatives. I think that there's more of a problem that liberals have more of a problem understanding what's good about conservatives. Um, you know, and as I say that, I'm disagreeing with myself because I, <laughs> I, I think, you know, there, there definitely is a problem um, that conservatives, you know, conservatives have, um, and there's, there's, I don't know if you know this, but um, psychologists identify like five uh, core personality traits for people. Um, and conservatives and liberals are different on two of them. And one of them is openness to change. And um, so conservatives need help in making change. And so that, I think if I was going to write my next, if I was gonna write that as my next book, and I'm not sure what my next thing is gonna be yet, but it would be how to, how to help conservatives see the point that liberals are making. That's probably that, a good companion book to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, you could do Persuade, Don't Preach, part two. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so with your, so you, you right now, you talked about doing a video. So do you have a video series that you do, you said? Yeah, um, so I've just started a YouTube channel. And the first video in is, is the five mistakes that liberals make when they try to convince conservatives. And the next one's going to be on Black Lives Matter and let's let's make this time different. Okay, so we'll, uh, if you're interested in watching, we'll have a link in the show notes yeah. and um, we'll have a link to the book in the show notes also, of course, I always do that. I also, um, I'm offering a free introductory webinar to the concepts um, which the link is going to be on my, uh, is on my um, books or website, persuadedontpreach.com, without the apostrophe and don't. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the book is available on uh, every major online retailer and, and the, all the ebook um, sites. So, and then I'm also offering a paid, um, I'm just starting in August, a, uh, a paid webinar that allows people to practice the skills and, and work it through. Um, my intention pre-pandemic was to do a live workshop um, for this, uh, the end of June, um, but that has had to be put on hold, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea is to do a series of webinars that you would uh, go to and get a chance to practice the different ones and play with the concepts and use the vocabulary list to, you know, like take some of the news and use the vocabulary list to pinpoint what the issues are. And so you can start to see things and, uh, and figuring out how you're using the concepts in your life. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Um, practice, to practice how to talk about some of these things, to practice talking to each other. You know, pre-internet, I was thinking about this last night, pre-internet we used to go to parties all the time and have lively discussions people had different opinions no one ever left threatening to kill somebody no one ever came back with a gun and shot everybody at the party uh, i think the internet really there's some good things about it but it really did a disservice to how we relate to one another yeah, it's no, created more silos. The the research, the academic researchers say that there's two. They think that there's two major causes to the to the political divide that we have right now, and the internet is one of them. And the other is what they call social sorting, because what used to happen is a small town used to have a factory, and the factory owner used to live in the, in the small town. The kid, his kids went to school with the kids of the workers, and they used, they used to go to the same churches, and they used to integrate, and as uh, businesses, as those businesses got sold to larger companies and the companies moved to larger cities, um, people are choosing where to live based on their political beliefs. So that's another, we didn't, I didn't talk about this, but another indicator of your political beliefs is where you choose to live. And most conservatives live within 15 miles of where they were born. And most liberals have moved away from where they were born. Interesting. Interesting. I, I hadn't really thought about that. We were military. We were military. So, of course, people ask me, where are you from? And I have to think, <laughs> where did we start? Yeah. We, well, the, it's interesting. The military is an exception because the military is more conservative than the population as a whole. 
um, and it draws more from the conservative rural population and it draws more from the minority population. Um, so it's more conservative and, and the minority population in general is more conservative um, from a moral foundation standpoint. Um, there's a difference between politics and so, so another thing that's been happening over the past 15, more than 15 years, but at least the last 15 years, is that um, it used to be that politics was divorced from your moral foundations. And what's happened is that now they're aligned. It used to be conservative Democrats and liberal Republicans, and that doesn't happen anymore. Is that, it doesn't happen so often. It seems that religion has been brought more into politics. Um, I'm thinking when Jerry, Jim, Jerry Falwell with, was it with Reagan? What I just found out, um, actually from someone, you know, is that there was, um, and I, I also read it in, uh, the bestseller book, uh, untamed by Glenn Doyle. She talks about how during the Reagan years, um, there was a group of white evangelical leaders who got together, who decided that they wanted to make, um, religion were aligned with politics and they chose the issue of homosexuality and abortion. And um, that's been a concerted effort over since, since the Reagan years to, to, to make that, um, to make religion more political. Yeah, so I was thinking it, it um, that it, it suddenly, it seemed like simpler times, you know, <laughs> before we had too many I don't know. I don't know. I just, the whole, I think just the whole internet thing just in today, that's, that's really what the, from, for me, it just, it just seems like, you know, I see TV shows sometimes where they've lost all electricity and they're going back to the, 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 when it's just groups across the, but then they have all kinds of problems uh, with people who want to, who want to take over and, and, and run everything. And I'm thinking it's just a bunch of dirt out there. Why are you so? Yeah. And you know, that's what, that's what we don't realize is that things have changed. You know, life is so much better on so many other levels. I mean, life expectancy until recently, life expectancy had been going up and up and up for about three centuries. And, you know, we don't, and, 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 and our standard of living had gone up for, um, I think it's since the late 1880s, I believe. Our standard of living until 1990 had gone up consistently. So, you know, we don't, we don't see these long-term trends. Um, Angus Deaton's um, Nobel Prize winning work has identified this and it's just, it's, it's important trend to keep in your mind. And again, neither liberals nor conservatives realize this and, you know, being sort of in the middle myself and straddling them and being interested in economics and all sorts of different kinds of things, I have this broader view that I try to bring to things and help people see a broader, a broader picture. Thank you so much for coming on today. Really, oh, really interesting stuff. And um, I know it's going to help me. Uh, I, I tend to, like I said, I, I try to, I've gotten to where I avoid things now because I tend to be the person that comes in with strong opinions and, and I don't want to hear the wrong opinion. I don't yeah. want to hear it. You know, I guess one of the things I'll close with was an Aesop fable that when I heard this fable, I just laughed out loud because it just seems so perfect for the book, uh, which is the, the Aesop fable, The Wind and the Sun. 
and the wind and the sun tried to had a contest to see which one was the most powerful and the wind went first and the wind blew and blew and blew and oh i forgot to say and the, the way they were going to decide was which one could get the traveler to take off his cloak so the wind blew really really hard and of course the traveler just held onto their cloak so tightly and was not going to let it go they needed it because the wind was blowing and then the sun's turn came and the sun um shone brightly and the traveler took off his cloak and laid it down beside him and, and enjoyed the sun and i think if you can if you can apply the ideas in this book, you can be like the sun, you can get people to relax and they can listen to you. And that's a much more powerful way to people. Oh yeah, that, that's great, great, great advice. And thank you so much for coming on again. You will find all the links to the show notes and tell everybody once again, how they can find you. So the website is Persuade Don't Preach without the apostrophe and don't, persuadedontpreach.com. And there's a YouTube channel, the same name. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much, Karen. Thanks, Karen. I uh, recommend her book. There's a lot of good stuff in there on how to deal with people that you have uh, issues dealing with. Um, so uh, that's it for this time. And as I said, all of the links are in the show notes. Check out her webinars. Check out her um, her books. She has two. She has this one and she has a book on marketing that's really good also. So check those both out. If you have any comments, leave them in um, the link in the show notes. If you're in listening in the podcast, the link will take you to the YouTube channel. And that's just the easiest place for me to put all the comments together so that I can find them. And uh, just drop down there and click on that link. You will also find me on Instagram under books cubed. I think it's books underscore cubed. And uh, you can contact me there if you've got a book that I need to read or you want to talk about something. Um, just let me know. Whoops. I was leaning on the keyboard and it was doing weird things. So I took my arm off the keyboard. Uh, I think I mentioned Instagram. So we're there. Uh, like I said, if you have a book I need to read, please let me know if it's your book. That's okay. Let me know what's the name and where can I find it? And uh, that's it for this time. And I will see you next time with another great show. Go read a good book. Mm -hmm.